This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag of Rotoviz Podcast. This is the July 19th episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all your fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Grant. Today, we welcome in one of the top fantasy football analysts in the industry, Jake Seeley, senior writer for The Athletic and host of the All In Sports Podcast. He is an award-winning analyst and a ranking prodigy. Over his career, he's been top in both fantasy football and baseball accuracy, and he was first in fantasy football in 2017. It's really very simple, folks. Jake is EF Hutton. When he talks, we all should listen. There's no one better to have on the mailbag as we're about to open NFL training camps than Jake Seeley. Please follow him on Twitter at AllInKid. Jake, so glad to have you on the bag to talk fantasy football. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And also that now I'm following you. I, I don't know why I wasn't, but so there, like everybody should be following you as well. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks, man. I know there was something, something weird happened with your account the other day, right? Where all the followers <laughs> got dropped or something. Somebody was accusing you of just doing that as a ploy or. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and that's what my response was. If that was a ploy, it would be a hell of a lot less than 300. Followers. Like I would have only followed like 150. But no, I, I woke up and I was like, wow, my timeline hasn't, I was like, oh, I guess Twitter's been down all night. I've never seen it down that long. And then I'm looking through and then all of a sudden I clicked on my profile i don't remember why and i saw following zero i was like what (laughs) like i was following nobody when i woke up that morning i was like oh you gotta be kidding me and i did a google search and everything and look apparently this has been happening since like 2015 randomly to people and funnily enough when i tweeted out people were like oh yeah that happened to me like two weeks ago and i was like i didn't know this was that big of a issue with twitter but I went through it, never fixed itself. I refollowed everybody, well, almost everybody. I had three hundred. I was following three hundred sixty. I got to three hundred eight. Oh, well, now you're three ten. I added two people. Yeah, I added one person yesterday, and you today now, so three ten. But I feel three hundred eight and three is it's eighty five hit percent. I, I feel like that's really damn good. That's the sort of intellect that you need when you're one of the top rankers in the entire country. You need that sort of memory there that comes in really quickly. And that's what I want to ask you first. With a Twitter handle like All in Kid and as good as you are with numbers, are you pretty much like a poker servant here that's going to be in the uh, World <laughs> Series of Poker soon? I wouldn't say savant. Like put it this way, if I had if I had the ten thousand dollars, I'd probably just invest it. Unless it was to the point where I had the ten thousand dollars, where it was like you know a hundred bucks for me to spend on something. I would love to. Let me put it that way. I've actually been to Vegas once, and when I was in Vegas, I went and played Texas Hold'em for about 
uh, I, I don't even think this is an exaggeration, like seven or eight hours because it was six in the morning. And I know of it was course. six in the morning. Yes. I know it was six in the morning because <laughs> that's nine o'clock my time on the East Coast. And I remember thinking to myself, I just stayed up all night. And so uh, <laughs> I would love to. And I am, I would say I'm a well above, I wouldn't say exceptional or, or excellent. I would say I'm a well above average poker player. We play every single almost UFC here at my house. And it's cash games, and every single cash game, uh, like I say, nine out of ten times, I, I come out with more than I came in with. So, and it's not like I'm playing with schmucks. So I would say yes, and I love, and I'm, I'm I'm saying that all because I would love to test my chops at the World Series of Poker, but at the same time, ten thousand dollars still to I'm assuming you and me and most people listening is still that, that's a hell of a lot of money to plunk down on, seeing if I'm as good as I think I am. <laughs> you know, I tried to convince my friends to go in with me. It was a bunch of years ago, and I said, guys, if you just save a dollar a day and you do that for three years, I mean, we're right there. You know, you can save and go out. We can fly out there. It's the 50th this year. Guy just won it the other day, but who knows? Down the line, maybe Jake Seeley and Mike Randall will be sitting across from a table. We'll be laughing about this uh, for ten thousand dollars. That'd be a nice pipe dream. I would love to, and I would love to be the guy that you know happened to lose and get seventh place because he got sucked out on the river and only wins seven hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah, I'll go. I feel so bad for that guy. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, exactly. We'll take it, no problem. Listen, you and I are both in Scott Fishbowl nine. You drafted from the sixth spot. You started with Travis Kelsey. Tight end premium scoring pushes you to do that. You did it. You then took T. Y. Hilton in round three. Held off a little bit on wide receiver. So just give us a quick rundown. How does your team look? What was your strategy? How do you feel about coming out? Scott Fishbowl 9. Yeah, it's funny. I just tweeted about that a little while ago because we finally just finished today. Ours was one of the slower ones. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah. So I got to tell you, I I didn't really want Travis Kelsey, but David Johnson went fifth in our draft. For people out there that don't know Scott Fishbowl, there's 50-yard bonuses or five points. So that's why David Johnson kind of became the consensus number five because you're looking at those kind of running backs. But there's also, as you, you you know, tight end premium scoring. So I went back and forth on it and like, you know what? I hate taking Kelsey in regular drafts. I'm I'm one of the ones this year just talking about normal drafts in general. I don't want Kelsey, uh, Kittle, or Ertz. I want to wait for that next group because I think that next group is going to pull close enough that the value is back to get those in the fifth and the sixth round, that being Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, and OJ Howard. So I don't know. I don't normally go this route, but. I went with Kelsey, and then funnily enough, uh, sixth round, I doubled down and took Hunter Henry because he was still there. And for the other options that were on the board, I was just kind of like, eh, you know what? Why not? Why why not double tap the tight end position to put everybody else at a disadvantage? Because you know this, it's so many teams. I mean, you're you're, it's almost a DFS seasonal lineup if you think about it, because you're playing against so many people, and you're playing against so many people who are going to have a lot of overlap that you've kind of almost got to have a DFS strategy to it in the fact that you got to have some differentiation and take some shots. So I ended up going a little bit heavier on tight end because of that. And, you know, Le'Veon Bell, T.Y. Hilton falling to me, I really like, especially Josh Jacobs. And I went heavy at quarterback early, too, because of the super flex. So I like my team. I don't love it. Uh, One strategy, and I just want to throw this out there for people doing best balls as well, is I think kind of gets overlooked. And maybe you agree. It's kind of your thoughts on this is when we don't know situations as of today. Now, I took Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin, and I took DJ Chark and Chris Conley. And I did that on purpose. I mean, it wasn't guaranteed that it was going to happen, but this way, I kind of saw it as, you know what? I have a really good chance of getting the number one wide receiver on the Ravens, even if you know Marquise Brown is hurt. I have a really good chance of getting the number two wide receiver on the Jaguars between Chark and Conley, and I kind of looked at it like that. We don't know as of today 
But now I gave myself two chances, whereas instead of drafting G.J. Chark and Chris Connolly taking D.J. Chark and some random person off the giant like Darius Slayton or something like that, like I'm at least kind of doubling down on one spot. The two things you said there that completely resonate with me. Number one, I hate going tight and early. I don't like – now this is super flex and there's four flex positions. I don't like investing so much in one position where you really only start one person. And listen, you could start two tight ends, but in your traditional league, you're only going to usually start one. So Travis Kelsey would have to smash. Now, if anyone's going to smash, it's going to be him because of the offense that he's in. But I had no interest in Ertz. I had no interest in Kittle. I would rather wait. And as you just said, I agree with you with that strategy. When I, I went Kamara out of the four spot, Juju Smith-Schuster, Amari Cooper. Now I have to admit, Jake, I pulled the trigger way too early on Kyler Murray. That was because last year I was hashtag wait on QB. I ended up with Tyrod Taylor and Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> so obviously things did not go well last year. So I was fearful of that. The old recency bias killed me. But I can't figure out in Seattle how the Chris Carson, Rashad Penny touches are going to be divvied up. But I know that one of them is going to have a real strong year. I think Carson was fifth last year in rushing yards. So I agree with that strategy. I took them both because instead of speculating, I know that I have solid production there. I just have to hit on some of my later players. But I, I agree with your strategy. Yeah, and that's the thing is like a lot of people will know, well, you're only getting one player out of it. And I agree with that if it's, you know, a top sixth round pick or something like that. But if it's, you know, you get Carson in the sixth and then Penny in the ninth or like my example with the Baltimore wide receivers is, you know, the 14th and the 18th round. I mean, at that point, like your odds of hitting on those picks anyway are severely diminished. I mean, you're talking about like two out of 10 most often. And then at this point, at least now you kind of like made it almost three and a half out of 10 type of situation for picks that late. So yeah, I think it's all about when you're drafting this early in a league that deep, not obviously you're not doing that with your typical 12, you know, 12 team, 16 round in the third week of August. You don't need to do that. Yeah, and I especially like Marquise Brown, Miles Boykin. I think Lamar Jackson's going to have a big year. They surrounded him with weapons that fit his style, so I agree. I, I think one of them is going to hit. Oh, I'm so mad I missed on Lamar Jackson. I, I have him at 10 this year, and and that was after doing my projections, dude, discounting him a little bit. Like I, He initially, my first run through, I get this question a lot about my projections. Do I ever mess with them? Because I always say, I rank to my projections. I'd be like, well, after they go through, do you ever tweak them because of something you might feel? My and I do, and it's only because like it makes me double check maybe my projections, the values I'm using, the f- stuff I'm pulling, anything. You know, it's all pulling information that I want to go through myself and look at. And obviously, some of that information you pull isn't going to account for injuries or sample size or anything like that. But Lamar Jackson, just so you know, my first run through my projections, he came out as QB seven just because of the wow. rushing numbers. Yeah, wow. I was like. Uh, I was like, I can't do that. I can't put him at QB7. You know, I'm putting out my rankings later today. I Same thing. My first run through, I had him at QB6. And I said, there's got to be a correction here. I mean, you know, just such the buy-in there. I have him as my QB9 is where I have him. So we have him right around the same area. But when it, folks, when it comes to accuracy and rankings, Jake is the guy to listen to. So start writing down this, these nuggets that you're getting right here. <laughs> well, the truth is, is I keep saying this. He just has to be a mediocre passer. Yep. Not even good. Just 30, give me 3,200 yards and 18 touchdowns, even with like 15 interceptions, because if he's rushing for eight or 900 yards and six, seven, eight touchdowns, he's going to be a top 10 quarterback. 
What's not mediocre is listeners can get a 10% discount on a Rotoviz NFL pass to the NFL podcast homepage, rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget that subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content. And best of all, it supports the pod. Another way to support the pod is through patreon.com. It's back for its second season and it's better than ever. We have our Patreon ship starting at $6 per month. We have exclusive access now to a Rotoviz radio Slack channel for patrons only where you can jump in and talk to writers and tell me how my predictions are totally wrong. I've really enjoyed it so far. It's a great way to interact. Patrons get first crack at our Rotoviz listener leagues, which are starting right now. And at the higher end tier of $9 per month, it's still a great deal. You can get some Rotoviz merch at the end of the season. We've just put that store out now. Become a Rotoviz patron today and join an exclusive community at patreon.com forward slash Rotoviz radio. Nice way to continue to help the industry leading content we put out here and the free shows we do on the network per week. Another thing, Jake, that's sort of interesting here is the running backs are having an uprising. They basically are saying it's time to pay us. We're underappreciated. We're the redheaded stepchild here. So we have Melvin Gordon. We have Ezekiel Elliott. Melvin Gordon announced, of course, he's not going to report to training camp unless he has a new deal. It's a pay me or trade me demand. If we learned anything from Le'Veon Bell last year, that may not always end up with the pay me result, at least in the immediate <laughs> presence. The confounding variable here, of course, is that the Chargers are all in. Phillip Rivers turns 38 in December. He's the franchise quarterback. Ezekiel Elliott now is mentioning this. So why don't you start with Gordon and then get to Elliott. What do you think is going to be the likely result? And and what do you think is the best plan here for both the player and for the team? I think the NFL in general and player and team all involved in the answer is to you know start paying running backs more. And the biggest problem is, and I think this is why the CBA is going to be a huge deal for this as well as some other factors. But this is a big one is because when you talk about just it's not even running backs in general. I mean, look at the NFL structure. And yes, they get a hell of a lot of money even as first round picks. And that is a lot at the same time because you have the four years and the fifth year option and then the franchise that you can take the majority of a career and have it locked up in a first contract and then tags. And especially when it comes to running backs, we know how that works. So we all understand the NFL side of things that it's it's kind of screwed up right now. The fact that you have to wait as long as you do, especially at running back where it's not even just your peak seasons, but we all know the, li- the likelihood of a running back lasting peak-wise more than three years it, it diminishes quickly, not to mention that's very early in their career because it's just more wear and tear, and the less it's likely to continue. So... The running backs are severely underpaid. We know that. Uh, The best solution is to give them a decent contract and, you know, move forward. As you mentioned, the Chargers have a lot of aging players, including Philip Rivers. They have some young talent, too, but they're in right now. You know, you don't want to make a quarterback transition while you're trying to be a Super Bowl contender. So the ideal situation is he gets paid. Everything gets worked out. You know, the NFL pays the running backs better. I don't think this is the same as Le'Veon Bell because, on the one hand, I don't think Melvin Gordon has the same – I, I don't want to say cachet, but I agree. Yep, y- you understand where I'm going. It's like he doesn't have the same standing uh, platform, whatever, as Bell did. Uh, so I think his his stance is a little bit less, and I think he knows that too. I think he's doing. It's, look, Le'Veon Bell was a rare situation. He Le'Veon Bell wasn't the first running back. He wasn't the first player to make this noise and say these things in the offseason. And he wasn't going to be the last. He was just the first person that actually wanted to and felt like, you know what? I make enough, have made enough. I'll make enough of my next contract that I can sit out. 
I don't think Melvin Gordon's thinking, you know what, if I hold out like Le'Veon Bell, I'm going to see the contract he saw next year with my injury concerns, with my wear and tear, with the fact that I don't have the numbers that Le'Veon Bell does. So I think Gordon knows that, and I, I, I think something works out. Maybe I'm naive, but I don't think last year is the new norm for running backs. I think that some, I took Melvin Gordon at the turn. I was surprised he was still at the turn. I, I still think he's a first-rounder. And I said, again, maybe I'm naive and stupid, and I just – I'm thinking Gordon's, you know, smarter than he is maybe when it comes to this contract situation, but I think he plays. I agree. I, I do think that Ezekiel Elliott has a little more leverage than Gordon does because remember, yes. Gordon didn't have the touchdowns his first year. Then it was always Melvin Gordon's productive, but his yards per carry are down, which again may not all be him, of course. But I feel like in my gut that the Zeke situation, Jerry Jones, he's going to pony up. Zeke is coming and dominated from day one. I'm curious to see, but then if you look at the Chargers, they have Austin Eckler, but I, I do think there's a hesitancy for the Chargers to ride Austin Eckler there. So I feel with the Cowboys, it's going to get done because of the production and the efficiency that he's had. And I feel with Melvin Gordon, it's going to get done because I don't think with a team that can win the Super Bowl, which the Chargers certainly can, they're going to go into the season with Justin Jackson and Austin Eckler. I think both both have motivation to get a deal done. Yes, I agree with you. I think, as you said, the Ezekiel thing is going to, hey, we got a franchise running back here. Let's keep it. You know, And Jerry Jones has no problem. Seemingly so far, maybe that would change and surprise us all, but <laughs> I don't think he has a problem paying him. I don't think he has a problem paying a star player. We've seen it before. You know, this is a team that's had star running backs before. Hello, Evan Smith. So yep. I, I don't think that's, yeah, I'm with you. I think for two different reasons, both get done and we don't see an issue. I would, to be honest with you, on the Zeke side of it, I wouldn't be surprised if his deal doesn't even get done and he doesn't you know, have an issue anyway. Like his kind of seems less more of like, hey, I'm just going to throw my name out in this whole discussion too, but I'm still probably going to play anyway. Like that, I kind of feel like he's less of a concern. You mentioned on your podcast that you are a, quote, disenfranchised Giants fan. I am a disenfranchised <laughs> Cowboys fan for basically all the reasons that you talked about. But I want to discuss Philly. You had Jeff Mosier on your podcast, and you took a deep dive on the Eagles. I talked with Pat Fitzmaurice last week about Carson Wentz. I still think nationally, you know, not in Philadelphia, of course, they love him. But nationally, the book is a little open on Wentz. He had a tremendous 2017 season, but he has had the injuries, of course. And he's an older quarterback, came into the league a little older there in age polarizing player. Where do you sit in Carson Wentz this year? How do you think he's going to do in Philly? Yeah, so this isn't uh, – uh, It's gonna. there's no good way to say this because anytime you say something like this, people are like, see, I told you that's what he's saying. And I'm, that's not – I don't want to say that. I just want to reference it because people might not know. Back when Carson Wentz came out, I actually had him as the number one quarterback in that draft class. And, wow. wow. You know, so a lot of people like golf. I mean, you can go back. I don't know if you can still find it because that – work that I was doing at the time might not be out there, but I can always take you a, a screenshot of the article. I still have it saved on my hard drive. So, but in any case, we believe you. We be, Jake, you're an honest man. We believe you here. Yeah. On Rotoviz. The reason why is because I, I, what I compared him to was somewhat of a Ben Roethlisberger and the fact that I thought he was a better runner, tough to bring down, loved his arm, loved his ball placement. My concern and what I wrote at the time was his footwork and some of the decision making, which is understandable where he came from in college. And I even said, you know, if those are the things he can work on, there's a huge there's a huge ceiling for him. Uh, I had him in front of Jared Goff and a few others, obviously, in that draft. Um, but, you know, with Wentz, we've seen that potential come through. He, you know, he was a quick worker. And you know what? Well, Mosher and a lot of people will say anybody that covers the Eagles. And one of the reasons I think he was able to overcome those issues that I saw and other people saw. I'm not the only one that said that uh, is the fact that 
you you hear about Wentz is he's the hardest worker on that team. Like when it was the injury, he was back as soon as he could be, and he was back as lo- as much as the doctors would let him, as much as the team would let. Him. Like he was the first one. He's the first one in and the first one out. He's the one that coaches up all the other people. He's going to work his butt off, be sore, and continue to work at. Like Carson Wentz is uh, is insane when it comes to that type of stuff, but in a good way. And that's what I like about it. And we've seen the potential. We saw the potential of him being an MVP before the injury. And I think that's who he is. I am, outside of Philly, I am one of the people who is as ravenous of a fan as the Philly fans are of Carson Wentz. So I think that if I knew he was 100%, he'd be my fifth quarterback behind the big four and potentially even four. Like, I think he's that good. Uh, the only concern I have is we've seen the good news before from many of players, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers. And I want to see him on the field. I want to see him in some preseason games to know that he's 100%. If he is ready to go and performs at that level, the Eagles are going to be very, very good because all the other pieces have sort of have sort of fallen into place. One of the areas that I look at, Zach Ertz has been so good, and he's been so efficient and so productive. But Dallas Goddard really flashed last year. He was the tight end two in week three. He was the tight end seven in week seven. He was the tight end eight in week 14. And that's at a position, of course, where you score one touchdown, you can be pretty much a top 10 tight end every week. Talk about Goddard. How do you think his role, the two tight end set? Do you see a little regression coming from Ertz? And do you think that Goddard is a viable option in redraft? So I don't think Ertz's regression is tied into Goddard as much as it is just the lack of options they had last year. And you have, as of today, a healthy Alshon Jeffrey. You have Deshaun Jackson coming back. They drafted J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who actually thinks pushes Aguilar for that third role. But they just they have a bevy of options, and now you do include Goddard. And then you include the backfield, which we're going to talk about. So I just think that alone, if you look at the Ertz targets from last season, I don't know that he gets to that again. Uh, so that's the only concern I have there. I don't think Ertz is taking a step back because of Goddard specifically. The Goddard, I was a little bit, I was surprised people were as high on him as they were. And those are a lot of industry people, you know, the normal home leagues, the people weren't drafting him really much at all. And then I talked to Mosher and, and I was saying, you know, I, I don't get it for fantasy purposes. And he's like, I understand for fantasy purposes, but I think he's going to be more involved than people think he is. And that we saw last year the transition of by need, you know what? He's, this is what he said. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase what he said because I don't have the exact quote. But he said Doug Peterson last year was out there thinking initially – I run three wide. I'm going to use three wide. I'm going to put three wide receivers on the board. And if you look at what happened, injury, 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 somebody fell off, somebody disappointed. And he's a third wide receiver. And then it's like a third wide receiver that's like practice squad talent. And he said at one point in the season, Doug Peterson said, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to stop using three wide just because I want wide receivers. I'm going to use the best talent. And then he said you saw they started using some two tight end sets, whereas kind of treated Goddard as a third wide receiver. He goes, you could see that carry over to the season. But the problem is, I just mentioned, now they have a bevy of options still at wide receiver, too. So if everybody's healthy, I'm off Goddard for fantasy purposes. But, you know, if Ertz was to go down, obviously the ceiling's through the roof. If Alshon Jeffrey gets hurt again or Aguilar and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside disappoint or something like that, there is potential there. So I'm not drafting him in a standard size league, but I will keep my eye on him in a best ball or, you know, the high stakes or a deep, you know, 20-round league. I'll definitely stash him. Yeah, and you made a great point about the weapons, too. They may not have the high-end receiver. You know, Alshon Jeffrey, of course, 30 years old. But they do have more options this year. Two options, tight end, another year of Goddard. The wide receivers, the running backs, of course, and they got Doug Peterson. So the weapons are there for Wentz to have a, a big, big year. 
Time to play follow the narrative. Some of these heavy narratives are going to be put to the test this year. Opinions which may or may not be accurate that we've thought in the past or that have been generally supported on social media that could be disproven this year. Just want to get your take on some of them. Start yeah. ta- start in Tampa Bay. Bruce Arians is in as head coach. The narrative, he never has a productive tight end in his offense. Will that narrative be disproven this year with O.J. Howard? It's already been disproven. Like I, I actually don't. I, oh, God, I hate narratives in general. And you're going to find that out from these questions. <laughs> but the Bruce Arians one is like, if you want to go back, he's never had, you know, a top three tight end. You don't think Troy Nicholas is a top three tight end? Oh, okay. So I was going to bring that up is the fact that they tried to play this game in Arizona. And maybe that's partly him because I'm sure he had a say in who they were drafting. But they had this whole like, you know, let's just try to find this cheapo tight end and maybe he breaks through. And they went they actually went. Nicholas wasn't the only one. They went the Notre Dame route twice. Uh, So, you know, I can see that the fact of, look, Arizona never really had anybody while I was there. So you can put that one on him for not bringing the talent there. But it's not. It's kind of like, would you put the cart before the horse? Like, or like, which one comes first here? Chicken or the egg? That's the better one. It's like, which is it? Is it because he never drafted anybody of real talent, or is it because he didn't? So, uh, uh, Arizona, he never had anybody. I want to throw that one out. So, let's go back before that, though. When he has had somebody, and I hate has had, but I just, <laughs> I, I get so mad about that when I, I take it out. Like, anytime I'm editing on, but I hate has had. But anyway, <laughs> Indianapolis, at, you know, Dwayne, Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener had good seasons together. Of course. Yes. When he was in charge, offensive coordinator in, in there, and he actually took over that season as well. If, for people that don't recall, he was the interim head coach. And then you go back to Pittsburgh, and he had Heath Miller, who had two of his three best seasons with him in charge of that offense. So it's not that it's never happened. And when he has had, I just did it again, has the <laughs> talent, he's used it. I just, I don't, again, I don't think Arizona was which way it went, but also look at some of the quarterbacks he dealt with in Arizona, obviously. But let's talk about just now. He has O.J. Howard. He's not going to ignore him just because he doesn't use tight end. So I don't believe this narrative at all. As I just mentioned, I have O.J. Howard in my top six. I want him in that second tier. He is a freak. He is uh, he is Rob Gronkowski level. He's as good of a blocker, almost as good as a receiver in the fact that he can be on the field every single down. So basically we can say that Bruce Arians has had a false narrative attached <laughs> to him during his career. Ne- next, let's head to Philly. Doug Peterson prefers an RBBC, right? Running back by committee. Last year, Josh Adams came in undrafted free agent, produces RB16, RB19 production back-to-back week 11 and 12. They do have Jordan Howard, which they got for a bag of chips. 24 years old, has a 1,300-yard season on his resume, and has a three-down skill set rookie in Miles. Sanders does this narrative play out this year uh yes but I don't think for the entire season so if you look at it, it immediately after the draft I'm gonna give you this so this is what happened immediately after the draft the real NFL draft you know everybody's drafting fantasy wise because they love the draft and Miles Sanders jumped up to like running back 15, 16, 17 off the board. And I lost my mind. I was like, you guys think every single year, oh, it's going to be different this year. It's going to be different this year. It's, oh, yeah, he never had this running back, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you guys are insane. And then a lot of people were saying, I wasn't the only one saying that. And a lot of people were saying the same thing. And now he's dropped all the way down to Miles Sanders. I was like, he's dropped down to running back 27, 28 off the board. And now I'm drafting him because now the risk is baked <laughs> in. Because the risk is baked in and the fact that it's going to be a split backfield. The numbers heading into last year, I wasn't the one that – it was Mike Tagliere, uh, Fantasy Pros, who actually tweeted this out, is that the only running back that Peterson had ever used in Philly at 60% 
was Darren Sproles, and it only happened three times. Uh, so we know the numbers. But I think Miles Sanders could. It's, there's always a chance somebody forces his hand and breaks the mold. But I don't think it happens initially. I do think Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, also because Miles Sanders has missed some offseason time, there's a mix here where you're going to see everybody get touches. But I think talent-wise, Miles Sanders can take over and get not 70%, 80% of the snaps, but get to that 60%. But I don't think it happens initially. So if you're not getting him as RB 27, 28, 29 off the board, let somebody else draft them. Let somebody else get frustrated. Watch them drop them or swoop in on a trade in week three or four and then get Miles Sanders for hopefully the second half. That's a great plan. And you can get Jordan Howard cheap. And then that's exactly right. If you end up looking and having Sanders on your roster as well and make a trade late when someone has a knee-jerk reaction, which we know Jake happens all the time in redraft, right? He can steal Sanders and really get the full production for the season. This one hits my heart. In Seattle, offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer's conservative play calling limits the offensive upside and, of course, stifles wide receiver one play in fantasy. Tyler Lockett is ready to ascend this year. Russell Wilson signed a mega contract. To me, Russell Wilson, my vision of Russell Wilson is every year we have the run game, student body left, student body right. Seattle is floundering on the verge of being in and out of the playoffs. All of a sudden, week 11 comes and Russ is unleashed and he's firing three touchdown, no interception games. And he's got back to back two touchdown and he runs one in and he becomes this incredible fantasy producer down the stretch. Is this the year that Russell gets unleashed or are we going to continue to put the handcuffs on this offense? <laughs> no. So so there's a little bit here where this the narrative is one is twofold here. So. It's the, let's go back to the chicken and the egg. It's, let's talk about Schottenheimer here for a second for the chicken and the egg thing. So if you go back to his career and look at him and look at the past, and let's talk about the Rams. Okay, look at the receivers he had with the Rams. We're talking about the Danny Amendola's, the Tavon Austins, the Austin Pettis's, the Brandon Gibson's, the Chris Givens. There's a lot of similar names there. If you look at like, and also let's talk about who is in charge, like overall in charge. What we always joke about with the, why Fisher's never getting a job again, like. Talk about the Rams is like, uh, I don't know. So is it the chicken or the egg? But even if you go back, let's go back to the Jets because that, that's a really good one. And you look at the Jets. Thomas Jones for years was a terrific running back. And I know we're talking about receivers. But oh, sure. Yeah. He had terrific numbers, including some in the passing game. And if you look at the passing game, let's talk about the chicken and the egg there. The quarterbacks he had. Holy crap. That was terrible. <laughs> but on top of it. You still had Jericho Cotre top a thousand yards a couple of seasons. You still had Santonio Holmes that was relevant. You had Lavernius Coles who was relevant. And I'm talking about relevant as in 805 touchdowns, 806 touchdowns. So you look at that. That was also a different style of NFL way back then. I don't say way back then, but you know, it was almost like, what was it, 10, 12 years ago now? And that is a different NFL. So. Again, I don't think it's 100% the, oh, he just destroys offenses because if he does destroy offenses, what you just referenced wouldn't happen anyway because he destroys the offense. So I think he's also smart enough to develop as a coach and change his game for the NFL and not keep, you know, you know driving your head into the wall. Like he's not Jeff Fisher. Like he's not going to keep doing the same thing despite it not working. He's changed things a little bit. He still has his own style. So I think that there are better numbers here. I think Tyler Lockett can be a wide receiver one. Would I put it on him? No, the only because it's not just the offense. It's just Russell Wilson in general. Russell Wilson has never really been a 4,000-yard passer, but that one was one or two years that he did it. It's more of the fact he's in that 37, 38, maybe 36 with the rushing numbers, what we like for fantasy. But I think that if you look at it, 
it's more of that is the balanced offense. And I guess you would call it run heavy these days, but it's still more of like a balanced offense. So I'm not completely as down on the Seahawks offense as most people are. Yeah, he had back to back 2015, 2016, 4,000 yard passing seasons. Only Did he have a really terrible, t- terrible touchdowns in one of those seasons, though? Yeah, he only had 21. It was 21 and 11 in 2016. He was really down. But then the next year, he bounces back and he leads the NFL in touchdown passes with 34. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. And in New England, of course, the book is, in fantasy, draft the cheapest running back. We saw that with yes. Deion Lewis. We saw it with Sony Michelle. This year, it could be rookie Damian Harris. I'm curious, your thoughts on Harris or is Rex Burkhead, who we've all forgotten about, Rex Burkhead was a very hot name coming in last year. Could he possibly sneak up and be the cheap running back value in New England this year? Well, you forgot last year. Was, my favorite one was James White in PPR. That of was, course. That, yes. that, was gold, that was money, obviously. People know that by now. But you say that because there weren't people weren't that excited about James White last year. Let's be honest. I mean, early on, James White wasn't even being drafted because the love was Rex Burkhead. Rex Burkhead jumped into the fifth round for bringing him up at the end of the league. Jake, so, I may or may not have done that myself. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> I mean, look, it happens. Like, I, I'll, I'll with you. So I did one, one out of, I don't even remember how many leagues and how many drafts I did. And I'm talking about drafts on the draft app. I did one where I took Burkhead in the sixth. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to do it because what it was kind of like a what the hell draft. Like I'm going to go against every. It was the George Costanza draft. It was I'm going to do everything opposite of what Jake would do and just see what happens with this team. By the <laughs> way, the, the team was miserable. I think it was 11th <laughs> out of 12th place. Uh, a lot because of Burkhead. Though here, here's the situation. I say that every year. I, I say if you want, actually, you can go back. I think it was five, six years ago. I, as a joke, tongue in cheek, I said if you want to lose your league, draft the Patriots running back early. And you know we make a joke about this every year. But I want to talk about the Sony Michelle thing. It's not so much there's Damian Harris, there's Rex Burkhead, there's James White, blah, 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 blah. It's Sony Michelle, now a scout that works for us over the athletic, Emery Hunt, who I think is the best scout in the business. He pointed out something to me where it's funny, as much as I've ever watched college football and scout players every single year for the past decade, and I write, I wrote up over 100 scouts or scouted players this year for the draft. I never noticed this before. It's just sometimes like some until you see a scout of his level that points something like this out. Sony Michelle. Watch the next time you like just watch some film of him. He drives his legs into the ground really hard when he runs like consistently the entire time he runs. And when he came out of college, Emory Hunt told me he's like he's had knee issues. They're going to continue because of how he runs. That's and a brilliant observation. That. That's See? brilliant. Yep. And, and it's one of those things where it's like, oh, my God, that's that's brilliant. I've never seen that before. And I think that continues. I, and we've already said I know he's a minor and everybody's like, oh, he's fine. It's minor surgery. Like it's he's going to be fine. I just don't want Sonny Michelle for that reason. I don't think he plays 16 games. And for that point, the cheapest as of right now who I want is Damian Harris. I, I don't really want Rex Burkett. I think he's kind of a mix-all, and he's going to have a 20-point game and then a two-point game, and then there's no rhyme or reason. At least Harris could potentially become the number one. Well, something that Titans head coach Mike Vrabel wants is a Super Bowl title. And he said on a podcast that he would cut off his penis for a Super Bowl title. So it's time to ask the all-in kid, 
Is there something you would do that for, or would you do a toe or a pinky finger? What's the line of demarcation here for Jake Seeley in severing a limb for something? Well, see, this, I have no tattoos or piercings. I'm not into the whole self mutilation. I'm the I was same. Say, I'm the I was same, like, yeah. it's not self mutilation for. I don't consider those self mutilation. But I'm not. I'm not into anything doing something like that to my body. So there is absolutely nothing because I was going to say, when you when I thought about this question, I was like you know what? I'm still single and I, I would to find a wife. And I say, like, wait, wait, but that wouldn't work because it, hey, 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 honey, you want to get married? I'm going to turn myself into a eunuch. So just that's so a good you know. opening story on the date, <laughs> yeah. my first date story. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to get married. So I kind of cut off my junk. So uh, I think I think I cut off my pinky toe to get married at this point. That'd be cool. Well, at least Vrabel's wife supported it. I don't know what that means, but she came in and said she's so – I mean, Super Bowl is a focus in the Vrabel family. That sounds like there might be some trouble in the bedroom. <laughs> it, could, it could be. That's for a different podcast. Jake, what's the best Christmas or birthday gift you ever received as a kid? So I was – like this. my parents were decent off, but it were like – I wasn't the first to get things, like even like when they were cool and stuff like that. So when Nintendo initially came out, and I think I was probably too young when it first came out anyway, but I didn't get one of those. So I got them. I got it a couple of years later. And I just remember, you know, you go over to your friend's house and play it and like the and I'm talking the original Nintendo. So I'm older than most people think. But like I said, I was I still think I was too young for when it first came out. But I remember it took a few years of it being out before my parents finally got one. And at that point. The reason it was the coolest present is because I didn't freak out like that one kid that everybody's seen the Christmas present or where it was the yes, super. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, it wasn't to that level. But at the point, the reason why it was the best present, why I remember it is one is the first game system I had. But two is just like I didn't think I was getting it at that point because it had been out for years and, you know, everybody else had one. And I just thought it was like, hey, you know, we just don't really have that much money to spend. It was, we weren't poor, but, you know, it wasn't like my parents were throwing money away. So I didn't think I was getting And then when I got one. It was awesome. They got me. It wasn't just they, they kind of went I mean, not all in on it, but I got the game. I got the blaster. I also at that point, I don't know if people remember this, that little shoulder cannon gun thing yes, that they had. Of course. Yes. <laughs> they got me that they got me the track and field with the pad and I think a few other games. So I like they got me a few. They got they they went all out when I, when I finally got it. We were the same, same in terms of, you know, we're not throwing money away. You have to get something here and there. The one that my parents still laugh about is the old football sticker books because they said, we got you that sticker book. You had all these these other things and you just sat there with the stickers, opening up the packages and putting them in this book all morning. So like they got to have breakfast relaxed. I'm trying to find stickers. Joe Montana match it on the sticker book. So sometimes the, the most basic gifts are the ones that really, you know, take the time up and get the kids interested. Yeah, it, it, it definitely does. Fantasy football trick or treat. Are these players tricking fantasy owners at their current ADP or are they a treat? We'll assume half point PPR here. Tight end Vance McDonald currently going with the Steelers as the tight end nine. I, I, can I hem and haw on this you one? You can. can. Of I, course can you I, can. I, yes. Yeah, I, I will say it's fine. I would say more treat than trick. It's just at that point, uh, I actually have them at 10. So like nine or 10, whatever. I, I think that just you're buying them where I have them. So I think it is a treat. I wouldn't call it a, a trick, but I wouldn't go much higher because then I think you're buying all the risk. I think the Bengals are in some trouble here in their offensive line. So I'm curious, wide receiver A.J. Green currently hovering around wide receiver 12. I actually think that's a, a guaranteed treat, even okay. though I have him right at 12. I think A.J. Green is one of the best values because it's not just a 12. It's the fact that he's slipping into the third round. And we're talking about somebody who has top five wide receiver upside we've seen before. 
And I do think looking at this team, it's going to be passing a lot. And I know you talk about the offensive line, but I think you look at the defense, and I think I think the concern is that Joe Mixon's going to have to be very productive in the passing game to keep that high end tight end or tight end uh, RB one status. As much as I love Joe Mixon, I think a lot of it needs to come in the passing game because I think they're going to be passing a lot. So I'm on AJ Green. I'm on AJ Green and Tyler Boyd a lot this year. Here's one that came from your Instagram post that created a lot of uh, discussion. RB James Connor at the RB eight. Oh, that that's definitely a treat because there's a there's now a conversation after talking to Mike Tomlin where he could he could be in the conversation for RB five. Wow, quarterback Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. I put this out last night. I was doing some breakdowns. You know, Cousins did have a three to one touchdown interception ratio. He's going as the quarterback twenty one. A little late for Kirk Cousins, no? It is, but the thing with Kirk Cousins, that's a treat uh, for – I have Kirk Cousins higher. But I, the Kirk Cousins, the Phillip Rivers, the Tom Brady's, like all those of the world, the reason that nobody's really drafted them and they're, they are where they are is because if you look at it, they you know what you're going to get. You just If you bomb, like go draft Josh Allen because if Josh Allen is above average – passer with his rushing upside he has the potential to be a top 12 top 10 quarterback mitch trubisky i think people are forgetting that he runs a good amount like you just why not chase those guys because the rivers the brady's and including kirk cousins are sitting in the wire where if you miss on your guy just go pick him up because you'll have a fine quarterback anyway and i've been asking every fantasy analyst this question of course todd Gurley, rb11 uh that's that's look it's either going to be too low or too high. There's no in between. Todd Gurley RB11 is that's not, in my opinion that does not happen because Todd Gurley doesn't play 16 games and finishes RB11. He fi- he plays 16 games and he's in the contention for the number 1 or he misses half the season and he's way lower because the injury is a concern. So I, I will say this. You got to it's how you want to build your team. If you want to get to that turn in the first round and you want to draft him because you know he could be RB1 I have no problem with that. Just don't do what I've seen. Some people is like, oh, man, if Melvin Gordon's there, too, I would think about going back to back. No, you don't want that much risk on your team coming right, out of the first right. round. I would never draft you know, Todd Gurley with another injury. Like I would never go Todd Gurley wide receiver Leonard Fournette in the third round. That's insane to me. But there is value there. Early in your draft, you have to minimize risk. That's the key here to have a fantasy football team that makes the playoffs. The NFL has proposed to the Player Association the idea of an 18-game season with 16 games per player limit. This would, of course, be tricky for fantasy owners. I saw you had a unique and a great idea for the NFL schedule to adopt that involves the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, this I've been saying this in my podcast, and this is I I don't care if this sounds Delph backpat. I'm I'm saying this because this has been my idea for years. I actually Joe Pizapia was on when we talked about it one time. I've talked to Chris Meaney. Like we, I have been saying this with other people who agree with me, and obviously you think it's a great idea too. Just for years, let's do this. Like it's an 18 game season with two buys. One of those buys now that everybody has a Thursday night football. This was I'll give credit to somebody who actually tweeted me this, and I thought hey I didn't include this in my list, but it's a great point. Thursday night football always includes a buy, so you never have the four game week or four day week. So you include that's one of the buys always. Um, so you have two buys, 18 games, chop down preseason to three games. You know, the fourth game for preseason, the, the starters don't play anyway. Uh, and then by doing all that, if you look at it and you kind of time it out, what ends up happening is the playoffs gets pushed back. Everything gets pushed back a little bit with the two extra weeks. And then, then you chop all the you know, second pile. And all of a sudden, guess where the Super Bowl lands? On President's Day weekend. And everybody has Monday off as perfect. we should after yes. the Super Bowl anyway. Yes, perfect. Oh, I think it's a great, great idea. Dynasty question here. PPR Dynasty Startup. 
Figuring out wide receivers here. Person wants to know, what's a better wide receiver target in Dynasty? Nikhil Harry, Calvin Ridley, Mike Williams, or Chris Godwin? What do you prefer? God, this is this is a tough one. Like, If you look at these four, Nikhil Harry is the one that could be the number one for the team. But how much longer is Tom Brady there? Are the concerns about a separation, which I don't think is a big deal, but we've also heard that he's still struggling to acclimate to the NFL so far. Uh, there's a lot of questions where, like, will the number one, put it this way, will being the number one matter as much as being the number twos, which is who these other guys are? Uh, Calvin Ridley, number two, obviously. Williams, Godwin. So, I am a huge Godwin fan. I think Mike Williams, people forgot that people were arguing he should be the number one. Some people were over Corey Davis in that draft. And then Calvin Ridley's Calvin Ridley. I'll put Calvin Ridley third and it'll come down to Williams or Godwin because of the upside. I think if you're looking at all around potential, I'd give it to Godwin slightly over Mike Williams. But because of Keenan Allen and is he a long-term charger? Uh, I just, you know, the injuries, both of actually him and some of these guys have like Holy Julio Jones, obviously, but I'll get, I'll give Mike Williams because I see him as the path of least resistance to potentially becoming a number one, who is a number two out of these other three. That's what it came down to me. I'll lean Godwin slightly over Williams because I'm okay with that. It's close. Yeah. With Arians, Arians is there. He's going to be there for a while. I have my questions about Jameis Winston. really do with the interceptions but you know it's going to be an explosive well, and if he's the quarterback next year yeah 100 jake i gotta tell you i think halfway through the year there could be a problem with that if this gets off to a bad start i know they don't have a lot of options but he's been very up and down and arians is going to throw and he needs efficiency i agree with you i would lean godwin but i think williams is, is really reasonable it comes down to those two for me also question from a jets fan what do you realistically expect from this offense? We got Sam Darnold in year two, Le'Veon Bell coming off a year off with a coach who supposedly isn't thrilled with his presence, Robbie Anderson contract year, there's Crowder, Quincy and known one, Herndon's now suspended. What are your realistic expectations and fantasy targets here, the value for, for the Jets this year? Yeah, I see a lot of people talking up Sam Darnold last month, but let's also remember the touchdowns that were involved with that and the yardage that was involved. Like, okay, he it was better, but he wasn't exactly like lighting the world on fire. So uh, I think there's definitely going to be an uptick here. And I actually think of all these, like Le'Veon Bell, I still think does deserve to be in the conversation with the number five running back off the board. I know a lot of people disagree with me because they're concerned about Adam Gase and they're concerned about the offensive line. And like, look, once you get past the big four, there's a reason they're the big four. Once you get past the big four, which you can poke small holes in all four of them, but as soon as you get to five, it's Le'Veon Bell has those concerns. Melvin Gordon, the injury contract. David Johnson, is he going to bounce back as much as people want? That offensive line still sucks. It's a whole new offense, a whole rookie quarterback. I mean, you can go down the list and poke holes in everybody, including Le'Veon Bell. I think he deserves to be there because of the talent. And if you don't want him at five, I'm fine. But I think the real value here is not Darnold. It's not Bell. It's not the one I like the most is Jamison Crowder. And I like his value is 100% health. If he's on the field and he somehow plays 15 games, which I said somehow because he's always banged up and then he missed time. And then even when he misses time, it seems like I know if you look at his game log, he's played a lot of games. But he, we know this. If you if you've owned Jamison Crowder, you know, he's like always banged up. If James guilty as charged. Absolutely. See, so you know what we've gone through. If James Crowder is 100% healthy for 15 games, I don't even need him to play the 16th game, but for 15 games, he's going to be a wide receiver three in this offense, and I think he presents a terrific value. Everybody's already on Robbie Anderson. He's drafted was where he should be drafted. I think Crowder's the value. That's a great point. I remember coming into the 2017 season, I was very high on Crowder. We were talking about him getting peppered with targets. He had the 67 catch, 847 yards, seven touchdown season in 2016. People were mentioning he could lead the league in, in receptions. 
And then he's kind of forgotten about, you know, the recency bias. You haven't, you don't see him. So you forget about him. Absolutely could be a massive value. He hung around a long time in Scott Fishbowl. People just kept bumping him yeah. down. He's the, he's the article. One of the two, I did a two part article that quarterbacks and running backs first and then wide receivers and tight ends dumpster diving from last year or last year's trash or whatever you want to call it. It's the ones that disappoint owners and people write them off and then just never go back to them. And you end up getting a value because of it. Classic post hype sleepers. Absolutely. What's the best sporting event you ever attended live? <laughs> I haven't been to a t- well. I've been to a ton of baseball stadiums, but I haven't been to a ton of like memorable, notable events. I'll, I'll give you two. Like one, I just remember. So I went to old ODU. I drafted from or drafted. Sure, <laughs> I yeah, drafted. I graduated from ODU. Uh, I remember seeing the game where Jarek McKinnon and the Georgia Southern Eagles ran for six hundred yards on my team. Wow. <laughs> That's how bad it was. I, I think they only passed for like 30 or 40 yards in that game. It's ridiculous how bad it was. But McKinnon had almost 200 yards by himself and he scored four times. So I just remember that. But the best event, like there was, so it's going to be a baseball game just because of the experience. I'm not a Red Sox fan, but going to Fenway, sitting in Fenway, and then when they did the Sweet Caroline where the crowd was singing along. Yes, yep. And yep. at the time, Jonathan Papelbon was still on the team and he came out of the bullpen. And they kept singing the song despite the PA stopped it because he started pitching and they finished the chorus. And I was like, the whole experience, it was just a really like that's the one that sticks out the most is just like the most memorable experience. I paid. That's a great one. Mine is a baseball game also. I was supposed to go to the Yankee game tonight, but it's raining out here. That may not happen. But it was a Yankee game. $450. Emptied my bank account in college to go sit in the bleachers for game six of the 96 World Series. They saw them win it. And Wetland made it really frisky, and I'm sitting there going, I just lo- I just spent everything in my college bank account. He better not blow this game. But when that pop-up went up to Charlie Hayes and he caught it to win the World Series, it is the quietest and the most eerie silence I've ever heard. So that one was a lot of fun. What wasn't fun, Jake, is they were, throw- they were changing the bleachers after that year. So my friend and I thought it was a good idea to start ripping the bleachers out when the game was over to take <laughs> it home, a piece of history. A police officer told us that that's not appropriate. So that, you know, No, they got to turn around and sell those online. Right. Well, online at the time, I don't know, sell those in general. <laughs> Celebrate a World Series of ripping out bleachers. My life's going in the right direction. Absolutely. If Duke Johnson, he just changed agents, if he gets a, a, an opportunity to get traded and he can do sort of a reverse Nick Chubb, right? Nick Chubb, all of a sudden, when Carlos Hyde gets traded, he gets thrust into a role. Duke Johnson could go on a team and then all of a sudden could be a fantasy football league winner. If that were to happen, where do you think you'd like to see him go that he really could make a huge impact? I already tweeted this out. This one's easy for me. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No uh, question about it. it. Under Bruce Arians. Like, uh, the, the thing I said about before any of this news even came out is Bruce Arians. The, the, the Buccaneers told me this offseason they're going to try and figure out either one, do they have enough in Peyton Barber, which I don't think anybody believes, or two, does Ronald Jones deserve more of a chance? But even Ronald Jones deserving more of a chance, his biggest issue out of college was that he stinks in the passing game, like receiving, pass blocking, all of it. And if he's, has he taken a step forward? Uh, that's a big question. He's gained um, weight. That's what matters, he's right? He's gained weight, which is a little – to me, what weight did he gain? Because that's a little bit of a concerning because he wasn't as explosive as he thought we would be. So did he gain it up top and then make him slower? Or did he gain it in his legs and maybe he's more powerful like a Saquon Barkley? Obviously not Saquon Barkley, but you understand what I'm saying. I do. It depends where he added the weight too. Uh, but all that being said – 
Bruce Arians likes pass catching running backs. And so, you know, Bruce Anderson is an undrafted free agent. But let's be real. It's the easiest position to, for an undrafted free agent running back to make an impact. But at the same time, the hit rate is still supremely low. Like, don't let's 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 start drafting Bruce Arian or Bruce Anderson in like the 10th round. Um, but all that being said, this is a perfect spot if Duke Johnson were to go somewhere. Yeah, that's a perfect one. And he could really be a, a game changer for sure. If you ask 100 fantasy football drafters who finished second last year in quarterback points per game, I don't think many of them would say Matt Ryan. He had a very under-the-radar efficient season. Now, they have Dirk Cotter back as the offensive coordinator. He was there 2012 to 2014. Austin Hooper at tight end. Of course, you have Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley we talked about, and pass-catching running backs, Devonta Freeman, Ito Smith. They drafted two offensive linemen. They're committed to protecting Ryan. Where do you see the value here in Atlanta in redraft this year? Yeah, see, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I think a lot of the narrative on Matt Ryan that I've seen, and again, a narrative that I hate, is that, oh, it's a new offense, Matt Ryan in the first year of a new offense. Yeah, that's true. Good but one. as you said, he's been with Cotter before. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's So, you know, maybe it's new from what they did last year, but it's not 100% new as in that narrative was created for Matt Ryan in the past. So, I'm still high on Matt Ryan. I still have Matt Ryan as a top six quarterback. And I think for that point is the fact that you can get him after Baker Mayfield and uh, Russell Wilson and people are drafting Kyler Murray and, you know, Drew Brees, who is people. Man, he took a little bit of a step back. I still think Drew Brees is great, but I'm just saying you throw out all these names and you can get Matt Ryan is still like the 10th, 11th quarterback off the board who still has top five upside basically every single season that, you know, he plays well. And I think the play as well factor is. I, I'm not concerned about the whole transition to Cotter because he's he knows him. And if everybody's healthy, which is Julio Jones is the biggest one, I mean, this could be back to like the 2016 offense all over again. I don't know, maybe not that high, but I think Matt Ryan presents a nice value. Devontae Freeman scares the heck out of me. Like, we know what he can do if he's healthy, but he won't stop running the way that he runs. And in the way he runs is just asking for injuries. So I don't even think, I think, you know what? I'll give you the one other value. Quadri Olison as like your last. Oh, pick. a good one. Yep. Just stash Olson because I think if Freeman goes down, I don't think it's Ito Smith. It is I think not. Olsen That's correct. Takes the lead. That is an excellent point. People are still living off of Freeman's big year when he was when he was the running back one in fantasy. They're going to pass. I have Matt Ryan as my QB four. I agree with you. There's not many quarterbacks in that area that can be a top five upside. He can be. And Allison is a fantastic call there, Jake. Time for redraft lightning round. I'm going to give you two names. Tell me which one you like better. Think going to have the better season. Ben Roethlisberger or Cam Newton? Ooh, they're seven and eight. I'll take Roethlisberger barely, but I think Cam Newton's got the higher upside and I'm ending up with a ton of Cam Newton. Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Uh, just the rushing upside. Better late round wide receiver one, D.D. Westbrook or Dante Pettis? As much as I <laughs> I just wrote last year's trash about D.J. Chark. I know you said quick hit, but I'm sorry. I got to give you some context oh, ahead, for this yeah. one. Because I just wrote D.J. Chark being last year's trash because he did nothing as a rookie and all that type of stuff. And I, in the article, I said, D.D. Westbrook, in my opinion, doesn't have the overall talent to be an NFL number one wide receiver. I think he's very talented to be a number two. And my boss, Nando DeFino, is like, oh, I love D.D. Westbrook. So I'm saying all that because the answer to this question is D.D. Westbrook for me. <laughs> because I still think as a late round, I love his talent. I think he's a good 1B and I actually think that with Nick Foles, like I think the assumption for Pettis is a little bit too high. I think he, I think Pettis is more big play, and we haven't seen enough from Garoppolo. Yes. And I know, I know Pettis, I know Didi has a new quarterback, Nick Foles, but it, it, look, he was fine with Blake Bortles. I mean, so come on. 
I think D.D. Westbrook is the mini poor man's Antonio Brown. What I mean is when you had Antonio Antonio Brown, you had him in Pittsburgh, and he didn't have a target for a long time. I felt like someone got in the headset of Todd Haley and said, you have to get Antonio Brown the ball. He never went without touching the ball for a long period of time. Westbrook makes everything go for the Jaguars. They don't have exactly an explosive offense, but they found ways to get him the ball. And like you said, Foles is an upgrade over over what they had before. I agree. I like that value, and I don't see Dante Pettis as an eighty-five catch guy. I, I don't. I don't see that. So, do I. Yeah, I agree. Westbrook, Seattle running back to own. Let me know for Scott Fishbowl, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny. <laughs> On cost, Penny. But if everybody's healthy, it's Carson. I just like they're both going to have a role. So yeah, it's Carson the lead guy as long as he's healthy but i don't see i i don't see him staying healthy yeah you see those videos of chris carson i mean it's hard to take him off the field but he's got to stay on it jalen samuels naheem hines better satellite back <laughs> neither <laughs> can i say that well because if oh, oh naheem hines if paris campbell falters as a wide receiver we've already heard the news if paris campbell's out there and playing some slot work a lot well naheem hines basically lost his role because Marlon Mack is the the guy this year. Uh, Jalen Samuels, I just I talked to Mike Tomlin. He's he's my guy. James Conner's my guy. I don't think Jalen Samuels is going to be as involved as people think he is. So I'll get I'll give it to Naheem Hines because he at least he has a role to consistent PPR value if Paris Campbell doesn't succeed. That new face app is all the rage now. So better veteran <laughs> aging tight end Greg Olson or Delaney Walker. Yeah, apparently I ended up looking like Big Sexy Cool or Big Daddy Cool or whatever the heck his name is. Uh, uh, Ke- Kevin Nash. A lot of people Kevin Nash. Like Kevin yes, Nash. you do. That's that's very good. Yes. I didn't even see it, and a lot of people said that. Uh, Delaney Walker for me. Look, it's a huge question coming off the injury this late in your career. Uh, but hey, everybody, three years in a row, tight end five, tight end five, tight end four, or something like that. Like, so, I- I'm taking Delaney Walker. All right, last question. You've been very generous, Jake. Fantastic, as always, and then we'll get you out of here. Every year starting in 2012, there's been a rookie RB that has finished in the top 12 in PPR points. There's Barkley, Hunt, Kamara, Fournette. There was three in 2017. Zeke, Jordan Howard. We can go back to Jeremy Hill in 2014, or even Trent Richardson and Alfred Morris in 2012. Not a great all-around draft this year for RBs, but if one of these rookies had to finish in the top 12, what's your best bet for that to happen? Narrative time. It's a uh, it's Josh Jacobs and that's yep. not even a question to me and I actually have him as a friend like I'm 12 or 13 depending he's actually 12 depending on the format you're talking about um at half point PPR he's barely behind Dalvin Cook uh for me so the thing is the why I said narrative time is because this whole narrative that John Gruden doesn't use the bell cow running back is 100% false not, not even true you go back and I'm bringing this up because Cadillac Williams, as a rookie. Oh, yes. Oh, Cadillac Williams, yes. 14 games, 290 carries, not touches, carries. He gets hurt, comes back the next season, plays 14 games, gets 240-something more carries despite that. He gave Tyrone Whitley 200-plus carries two years in a row. Ernest freaking Graham, who only had 10 starts that year, got 222 carries. John Gruden hasn't had a lot of bell cow caliber running backs, but when he has had the opportunity... Oh, I just threw in a has hat again. Uh, When he's had that opportunity... He's giving it to him. Josh Jacobs is going to near 300 touches as a rookie. I will die on that hill. I don't care. You want to put this to the cold takes, not you, but people out there and put this on. Hey, you remember this or freezing cold, whatever it is. I'm fine. Josh Jacobs, go draft in the third round because you can get him there. Probably even fourth round for some drafts. He is going to be an RB1. You want to die on a hill? Die on a hill following Jake Seeley's fantasy football advice. Senior writer for The Athletic, host of the All In Sports podcast, 
absolute must-follow at All In Kid. Jake, I know you're going to be top five yet again in the rankings this year. You did an amazing job, gave us so much great information. Thanks so much for coming on The Bag. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and at randallrant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.